0: What's up, Drew? Hey. So, we are out of our canned episodes now, and uh, so I'm now talking with everyone in the new year. And this semester, we're doing something a little different based on our scheduling. Drew and Melody couldn't make it at the same time, so we'll be alternating between Drew and Melody. By the way, welcome to How College Works. Drew, I think we've mentioned this on the podcast, you have made a bit of a career shift in the last year, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, in the last couple, last thirteen years, I've been teaching classroom teacher at the high school level, mostly in special education and in math. So, just this year and this school year in August, I've started uh, as a digital education coordinator in my district, which means I get to work now with more with the adults and the teachers training in technology. But also, I get to visit second and third and fourth grade classrooms, discussing our you know the. the District technology that we provide to everybody in the accounts and how to use them. Uh, and so a lot of fun topics to cover with the third and fourth graders.
0: <laughs> so am I correct that that's sort of what might be generally referred to as digital literacy? Like making sure that the teachers and the students both understand, you know, how to how to how to work the system and uh, what it can and cannot do, and what is safe and what is appropriate. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, we do cover. Basically, yes, we're training on the things that our, our district uses. We're using uh, Google Apps for Education, Google Suite. And so I, when the teachers have a question about that, I can come and teach the teachers or I can come teach their class about, hey, we're going to use Google Documents today and do a lesson with their class so they can see, the teachers can see how a lesson would go. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the teachers will see that the students really enjoy it, take to it quickly, and that gets the teachers excited about it, too. And, you know, the next week, the kids come in and
0: say, when are we doing Google Documents again? <laughs> so one of the things that I've noticed is that some of my students come in and they're like, oh, yeah, my school is a Google school. And they're, you know, understand everything that's going on when I as I use Google in, in my classroom. And some of them are like, I have never done this before, and I am sort of really confused and stuff like that. So I wanted to, explain a couple Sort of things I want to touch on. One is sort of what is the range of technology that may be used at high school level. What are the ranges of technology that may be used in the classroom at the college level? And then I wanted one of the things that I kind of want to get into, which I think might be the, the most important, is how um, how faculty and, and maybe also teachers perceive our students as students who have grown up with this level of technology, and I think there are probably some misconceptions about what my, me and my colleagues might assume is the case and what is actually the case for, you know, the skills uh, that, that these students have. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. All right. Do you want to start with kind of what is the span of, of technology that m- may show up at a high school level? Sure.
1: So I guess obviously it depends on the school site and the teachers that are there and the, what support your district has. You know, when I started teaching, I would have one or maybe two computer, desktop computers in the classroom that I had access to and we would have to schedule time in a computer lab, you know, technology-wise. And we were working at the level of PowerPoint slides on an overhead and, and that kind of... I think that's pretty ubiquitous at this point is a some type of projector with PowerPoint slides and a minimum number of computers in the classroom. And at this point we're, you know, my district is you know, able to have one-to-one with Chromebooks know other districts. We also have a couple of uh, the younger grades with iPads uh, and there's, that seems to be a lot more frequent nowadays. Mm-hmm. Clearly there's districts that don't do that. don't have that ability right now. And it, so then the question is, we've got one-to-one technology access for our students. How do we use that in the classroom? And it's up to the, yeah, the teachers requesting training or, or, uh, or coming to trainings about how do I make this work in my classroom uh, in a way that doesn't get in the way of curriculum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have, we have some students, or sorry, some uh, teachers who are, you know, gung-ho, leading-edge um, Google Classroom. Every single day, their students have, know the routine. Classroom management on the technology is not a problem for them, and they be able to train their students to come in, sit down, log in, assignments up, um, you know, collaborate, whatever they need to, to do in the in the assignment. Turn it in in Google Classroom, and the teacher's able to grade, score, you know, download those grades, and it's updated on our on our. Um, Learning management systems so parents can see the grades right away. You know that are really integrated uh, all the way to the end of uh, the other end of the spectrum of you know teachers who are still working on just regular whiteboards and maybe get the the laptops out. The class set of laptops rolls out on a on a short day for something like a Khan Academy where it's able to be more student independent and uh, you know the teacher can have it sounds bad when so <laughs> but you know that's the kind of use where a teacher is able to to have a little more time if it's grading papers or what have you or one to one conversations with students while the rest of the class is being independent on mm-hmm. one of those type of programs. and once the, you know there are some teachers that have that don't use the chromebooks very much and that's my job it's to go make sure everybody's at least has the uh, all of the staff has the ability to use it and that we can remove the excuse of I don't know how and I'm not a computer person from the adults in the room.
0: So everybody has at least the skills they can choose to use them or not.
1: That's the, that's the goal we're kind of aiming at is that, yeah, everybody has the ability.
0: So one of the things that we've talked about at, at length in, <laughs> on this podcast is that the oversight, you know, the authority of the administration to uh, require high school teachers is much higher than the authority of administration to require college professors to do things, does, not that it necessarily happens all the time, but does an, a principal or a, um, uh, whoever's above the principal, let's <laughs> board? school board, you're <laughs> right, uh, do they have the authority to say everyone needs to be using this type of technology, like no one's going to be doing written papers, it's all going to be typed? turned in on a Google Doc or... I don't, know,
1: I don't know the answer to that. I think that it would be unlikely to happen because the, the easy response before you even brought a lawyer in is that's an access issue. My, my district one-to-one is all at school, so the, the, the Chromebooks and the iPads all stay at school, and so we, we cannot guarantee that a student has equal access at home.
0: I see. Um, that makes sense.
1: There's Now there's a district right next door who who does one-to-one Chromebooks and sends the Chromebooks home with the students. And so that's a different situation. But I I also don't think uh, a principal or or a school board would, it would be unlikely that they would say, all right, we're all, everybody's going to turn in typed papers now. I think for the most part, their selection is we're going to be using this adopted curriculum and the, the adopted curriculum we're using has an online component We would like you to use it. By the way, all of the state tests are done on computer and here's the practice tests that happen to be done on computer as well. We'd like you to train those up on X, Y, and Z test windows, practice test windows, so that when the real test comes around in 11th grade or whenever, your students are familiar with the question types and the question style of answering. Mm -hmm. So that's the spot where they're able to have, you know, control over what teachers do in the classroom is to say, this is, this is truly how we're, our school is measured on the s- measuring stick of state tests. The state tests are delivered in this medium. And now we've made available to you a curriculum that also happens in this medium and in this style and in this question and answer mm-hmm. method that the test uses. And that's not to say you're focusing on teaching to the test, but students need to have facility with Nowadays, the the standardized tests have more than one correct response, have drag and drop answers. They want to see an annotated uh, text in their essay questions. They want to see, um, you know, like draft sections in their essay. So it's a more complex, uh, comprehensive, it's not just a point and click um, multiple choice test anymore.
0: Hmm. That sounds very cool. So, so mostly at, at, the, at the high school level since it's an access thing and it's also sort of a resource thing you know you could be in you know a, a, a small school which is like chalkboards and, and that's all you got or you could be in a big school that has all kinds of smart boards and one-to-one and even then you could have a, a mm-hmm. uh, teacher who does who decides to use that minimally does that make yeah definitely. yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> But in general, the kinds of skills that you want, so it sounds like the kind of skills that, that you want high schoolers to have is be able to maybe navigate the LMS, that's the learning management system, be able to you know, uh, type a paper or an essay, uh, use a spreadsheet. Right,
1: yeah, and that, that's one of those items that's actually in our, our math curriculum in our district includes a, even the first-year math class of ninth grade math has two chapters in the book on statistics, where we we have the opportunity um, and the option to go into spreadsheets and use spreadsheets for that. The book, the curriculum also will use uh, a graphing calculator. So that's the options that we have, I guess. And I used spreadsheets when I did it. I thought it was going to be more useful for my students. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe so. I mean, graphing calculators do cost a lot of money, as I recall. But then- I got my graphing calculator a long time ago, so maybe they cost less nowadays. Or you can download an app for your phone.
1: It's the same, but that's another topic for another.
0: (laughs) So I probably should move on to starting to kind of compare and contrast with the way technology is handled at the college level, which has a lot of similarities, I think, in terms of there are resources that are available, but it's not adopted sort of wholesale across the board that makes sense. So in the same way that you have some high school teachers who are going to be all in on whatever, you know, the technology is that's available, and you're going to have some there's they're like this is the way I've always done it for the last 50 years. <laughs> this is the way I want to continue to do it. You know, we have the we have that same thing that happens at the college level is that there are there's technology available. I mean colleges can also be Google schools. But you can't force the faculty to adopt the available technology. There's very, I mean, as we said, there's very few things that my boss can make me do. One of, I think the only thing that she she can make me do is happening sort of this semester, which we've moved to a learning management system called eLearning, and we are required to post our grades on eLearning so the students can see them, and we're also required to take attendance. Not that it has to affect our students' grades, but there's a module sort of thing on the back end which can track when students are not showing up to classes and automatically notify student life that, oh, this person has missed the last three days of class, which is basically a week, and so maybe send an RA over there to see if they have curl up in a ball and are not leaving their bed. <laughs> I could have used that in college. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the things which can be super, super helpful. You know, there's been a couple of times when I've noticed that a student hasn't shown up and I've, you know, said, hey, are you okay? Are you just missing class? Which is my general sort of, hey, you're missing class. Are you okay? Sort of a thing. Only to receive an email that like makes me concerned. <laughs> then I call up student life and then, you know, somebody shows up and things get better after that. Uh, but then that means I don't even, I mean, not that I shouldn't pay attention, but it means that you're not reliant on me to remember to send an email or, or make a call because as, you know, my colleagues are, uh, probably knows, in walking the one minute from my office to the staff lounge, the faculty lounge, or back, I'll be like, I will go do that right now. And in that minute, <laughs> it will evaporate from my head and then not happen. And uh, it would be tragic if that's the sort of thing. That makes
1: sense. That's the point of a learning management system is to get more eyeballs on the bodies on the team of, Student success, and you know the one that we use does the same thing. Where a parent, um, all six teachers, the, the counselors, if it's a special ed student, and the case manager can add themselves to that student and, yeah. and keep eyeballs on them and get attendance alerts and zero assignments with zeros in the grade book alerts and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I think we have less of that that we're really allowed to do since I, I mean, <clears throat> since they are major majority, so it's not so necessarily like zeros on it on on work or something like that, though I can specifically send out a notice to the student and the people, sort of their advisor, uh, if I'm worried for a particular reason. Uh, I, su- I mean going back to the sort of non-uniform adoption, I, I suspect that it might be spottier technology adoption at the college level just because we aren't required to do professional development in that way. And so while you Especially to get to the highest level of sort of pay within your, your grade, you need to you know, continue education and professional development. You know. So one of those options is to do professional development at you know, the, the, the Google Summit in your area or to give a talk on this or you know, all these technology type professional development which you know, is available to you and might fit the schedule better than, say, pedagogy professional development. That's you know, how to teach is pedagogy. For the listeners, not for you, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> and so, since we are not required to do that type of professional development, then many of us may not know what's going on, what's available, and some may even be resistant to it and have not looked at technology in the last 20 years, which would be drastically different <laughs> than it is today. And so they, they have a comfort zone, and they stay in that comfort zone.
1: Which well, so, yeah, that to me brings up the idea of well, going back to the, the, the conversation about graphing calculators and their efficacy in, in, as a tool in the classroom and, and, and as it relates to technology or topic today. So when I said I want to use spreadsheets for this same thing, it was because that, this to me is now suddenly it's a lot easier access because the cost is – affordable for everybody in the room, Um, I have access to everybody in the room, the training on how to use it is actually simpler than programming a (laughs) TI-85, which is still doable and you still have to do it in class, and we had a lot of discussions as a math department about, well, you know, I use graphing calculators for this uh, chapter because that's what I've always done, and here's how I do class management on teaching the programmatical side and not the content side. And to me, it was easier for me to teach the programmatical side of writing in a spreadsheet formula versus actual computer programming on a TI-85, mm-hmm. and and easier for my students to access, I felt. So I made that teaching decision. And you could make the argument, well, the tool works. You know, use a graphing calculator. Yeah, totally. A, a slide rule works for the same thing. And so there's that, there's a question of access, and there's a question of cost, and there's a question of Facility that where I had to spend a full day teaching how to type formulas in properly versus content of statistics.
0: I will say it is harder to get a hold of a slide rule than either of the other two.
1: <laughs> Most definitely, it was really hard to find and purchase one. I tried, <laughs> and and so but you could say the same. The teachers would say, well, I don't want to teach two days worth of lessons on how to use it, get into the TI-85, the proper menu to add a list and then have it graph and do this, and. To me, that's, those, are the, those are the same problems, and you eventually have to ask the question what is, uh, not just which tool works, but which tool is addressing the needs best. So, yeah, I'm reluctant to change. I grew up on a TI 85, you did too. I know how to use it, and I know how to teach it. It's just easier for my students, my, you know, I don't want to say clients, but my, my audience. <laughs> And in fact, when I did it, I was worried, like, hey, my students are really not going to like this brand new thing. And they jumped at it. They're like, when are we doing the spreadsheets again?
0: Yeah, you can be surprised. I, well, I'll say that surprising, sup- being surprised thing about sort of what my students know is something that I run into is that, as we were discussing earlier, there's a phrase that goes around for professors and teachers and administrators talking about not, not just millennials, but digital natives which is a phrase that you're like, I don't really like that phrase. I don't particularly like it either because it it gives an impression of what our students are going to be capable of, which I think is often wrong. Not that yeah, our students... I, can-
1: you know, there's this joke about, well, if you need your cable hooked up, then you just call the four-year-old grandson in and he can do it. And, and I think that that oversimplifies the, the idea. I get digital native because everybody has a, a, some kind of tablet in their hand at this point and they can swipe up and down and pinch and zoom and navigate the, the user interface and play games and, and laugh at memes and you know get on Instagram and whatever we do these days. But to me like the, the name Digital Native makes it sound like now I, I'm also able to do all of these other things and create content and really interpret, analyze and understand what I'm interacting with. And I don't believe that's always the case with you know, students in high school and middle school who are just receptors. The right. digital media, digital content is waving over them and they're receiving it really well, but they're not necessarily fully comprehending what's going on behind the GUI interface.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I've sort of run into is that I used to talk about using spreadsheets, and so I've I've in the past had classes where it's like, okay, let's do this. We're going to do this in a spreadsheet. That's part of the curriculum. We're going to make these calculations, and I was like, all right. So so what's the equation? Let's get this put into this cell. <clears throat> and first is like, I don't know how to do that. It's like, oh okay. All right, so we're starting there. <laughs> and then, you know, and talk about well, how do you write this equation and how do you troubleshoot this and there's there's a level of familiarity that I had had because I'd had to use them in this way. You know, I I've, I've been using, you know, spreadsheets to calculate student grades for a long time now. <laughs> you know, and so there's all kinds of stuff that I've figured out and stuff that I've looked up that when I first started it was like all right, y'all know this, right? Let's go. And they're like, no, we, we don't. We really don't.
1: Yeah, that's, to me, that's an assumption, like, as a teacher, that's an assumption I would have of that everybody had the same background history as me where I picked up and looked at Excel, uh, not as an expert, but I picked it up and looked at it in high school. Most of these students haven't, there's no class on Excel. Now, right. I took the, you know, how to do Excel. That was my college uh, 101 computer science course. Was Excel and Word and whatever, and it wasn't Intel College, but and there are like the robotics students mm-hmm. have dealt with a little bit of
0: programming. So, but, but even not, that, I think a lot of that is not. I mean, our our father is a programmer and programmed in not the highest level programming languages that we have now, but sort of more mid, maybe mid level programming languages. So we grew up around sort of understanding what this is like. Football is pretty important. Right, but I mean. So it's it's not machine code, right? But it's not Python, right? Or Ruby or Perl. Sorry, listeners. (laughs) Part of what I think happens now is that you know your I suspect because I haven't done this myself is that your programming is sort of more of a uh, spin the wheel. You just there's a spin the wheel command as opposed to the kind of stuff that in graduate school that I had to do, which is what are the pulses I have to send to make this motor work properly, and now I have to do the right timing and stuff like that. I mean, it was a much more fundamental need to understand what it is I'm talking to and how it works, as opposed to, you know, if you want to do Lego lab with, you know, middle schoolers, then you're not going to be like, all right, kids, let's break it down to machine code. You feel like, all right, I'm going to give you this, this interface, this user interface that says uh, roll forward. And then you just, so you just have the roll forward command. All of the complexity is hidden behind that.
1: You're talking about, um, like, Scratch is a language that was put together by MIT, among others. I think they're the main kind of publisher aimed at kids and getting kids coding at a young age. Mm -hmm. And it has a graphic interface where it's easy to say, oh, I want a loop, and visually it looks like a big loop. And, you know, do this and then that, and you have drop-down menus instead of, you know, hypertext code you're writing. You're not writing JavaScript, you're writing you're doing these drag-and-drop Lego kind of code pieces. Right. Which is really approachable as a brand-new computer user, but it also it gets them introduced to something behind the screen. I'm creating a game instead of just playing a game. Right. But it's approachable in a way that's not like in-the-matrix hours of numbers floating in front of your face.
0: Right. I mean, and I absolutely agree with you, and that that awareness of sort of what's going on behind the screen is... is uh, can be really fruitful for a student understanding a bunch of stuff that's going on with screens. But, as you say, like those are students who have self-selected sort of into that, and many students don't. If you're like, what I really love is to is to read Victorian novels, like you're probably not going to be seeking this stuff out. And then the assumption... another complaint. I'm sorry to keep interrupting. No. I'm not sorry,
1: but <laughs> there's another complaint I have about this digital native narrative, to use buzzwords, is that it goes alongside of this narrative of teach kids to code, everybody can code, hour of code, everybody's coding.
0: Well, if they want to work for Google, that's great, but not everybody does.
1: It kind of implies to me that if if you're doing everybody can code, it implies that we've got to teach computers because nobody knows it. And digital native narrative alongside of it is saying, everybody already knows this stuff, we don't have to bother with it. And those
0: two things are existing in the same world right now. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I think you're right. We have, we we have these two competing things, which is like everybody knows all these things, but we have to teach them all these all these things. I mean, when we get to us, like I, you know, there's this kind of assumption that I think, general assumption that we're like the grandparents and they're like that four year old, like they know all those things so much more than we do, and and I as we've kind of been talking, like they know how to interact with it, but it's not doesn't mean they that most actually understand the underpinnings and what goes on sort of behind the screen. And so there's these assumptions of what our students can do that for I think many of us as faculty are not correct. They're like, well, you all know how to make videos, right? Well, I mean, the, <laughs> I know how to make it, six second videos. <laughs> right, yeah, Instagram will like do that for you. you know, but that doesn't mean that you know how to like do video editing or sound editing or actually, you know, create a quality product that you then want to post somewhere. Like maybe all, you have, all they have access to is the camera on their phone and they'll just make a quick video that's pretty casual and not professional and post it to Instagram or YouTube. You know, that's different than probably what the, the faculty might be thinking they can do, which is like sitting down, headphones on, you know, all this other stuff that, that they're picturing in their head as to what these students can do. And it leads to misconceptions about what is appropriate to ask a student to do.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I think you have to just be aware. It's not that it's not appropriateness per se. It's more of just awareness of I'm asking for this product without knowing the access level that people have for you know Final Cut Pro is like a three hundred dollar program, or are they able to do it on one of the free ones online? Do they even know how to get to the free ones online?
0: And the assumption, as you say, everyone. If we describe all of our students as digital natives, then it implies that everybody's doing coding hour and and generating content and doing all this stuff, and some of them are, and some of them are fantastic at it, but you know, many of my students you know, at my institution and for the courses that I teach, which are one-on-one courses, most of my students are in my one-on-one classes, these are not the self-selected population which has like, been you know, writing their own games or even necessarily posting things to YouTube. You know, uh-huh. So when, when I bring stuff in, like, okay, here's Google Docs, I need to be aware that not everybody knows what Google Docs is or knows how to use it. Some will be like, I'm totally bored. Someone will be like, I am super scared and lost. I <laughs> don't know how this works. You know, when you
1: have the first day of class, you talk about where's the bathroom, this is, there's the fire escape over there, and this is where we're going to meet every day. And the same way, when you, when you introduce Google Docs, you don't say, hey, raise your hand if you've never done Google Docs and single yourself out because I want to make fun of you. Right. You start off with, we're going to use Google Docs. So no, this is what it looks like for I'm going to I'm going to share what it looks like so if you've seen it that's cool but I'll, there's people who haven't
0: and I'm going to share it you know. Yeah, and so maybe one of the takeaways that you know students should keep in mind is that their professors may assume that they have expertise in things that they don't. And that's no shame for them, but they they will probably need to address that with their professor and say I think you're assuming that I know how to do this thing and I don't know how to do this thing. and, again, and then again it's it's the always with respect and sort of the question is like, where can I go to, you know, how, how can I learn what I need to know to do this thing? Uh, it, that's, the, that's the most sort of considerate. The next little considerate below that would be asking them to teach you, which they may bristle at sometimes. Though I don't think that's un- I don't think that's unreasonable, you know. But there may be resources at the college or university where it's like, okay, you need to go talk to this person; they will help you out.
1: Yeah, I guess it, you know, if it was a brand new thing, I I can recall being asked to transcribe a, a piece of audio, non-Western music, and we were given access to a trial version of the software, and. It, my professor showed us how to, gave a demo, demonstration of it in class, mm-hmm. and that made sense because that was pretty, that was new to everybody in the room, and you know, obviously nobody had used the program before, so he was showing us the technique of using the program and then asking us to do the content of the class, which was the transcription. Sure. So, that makes sense and that seems reasonable. And there's certain things like I wouldn't expect a college professor to teach me how to use Microsoft Word or, or, you know, type my paper on Google Docs. He's going to turn around and say, that's your problem. Go figure out how to type it
0: and turn it into me. <laughs> right. There, you know? There's, yeah, there's this difference between what is, I mean, this is also talking about plagiarism, there's what should be common knowledge and what is common knowledge depends upon sort of the group of people you're talking about. You know, if a group of physicists, what is common knowledge is different than just a group of people, you know. And so understanding how to use Word is something that is reasonably like, I, as a professor, shouldn't need to teach you this. If you need it, there are resources where you can learn this. Whereas, and the boundaries,
1: you know, the boundaries of that assignment are different to say, mm-hmm. turn in a written product, it doesn't matter what you write it on. Have fun.
0: Right. I mean, if, if you're a student and you're in a class and they say, I, uh, here, go use this program. And you have never used it before, and especially if this is in a sort of a major sequence or a course sequence where it's never been introduced before, and the and the, and the faculty member like, "Eh, hey, go use this. I'm not going to support you on it." That's a reasonable thing to to bring a concern to bring up to them, or if if that it doesn't bear any fruit to bring up, you know, to the provost or the vice president of academic affairs uh, to say, "Well, this is expected of us, but." we have given no training on this, even though this is not reasonable to assume that, you know, we would know this. Uh, Whereas if you're like, they didn't teach me Word, (laughs) I'm pretty sure everyone would be like, yeah, you'll need to take care of that. (laughs) You know, that falls on the student because it's really, really common. Whereas if it's going to be... ubiquitous, yeah. Yeah. You're talking about something else, like Final Cut or something like that, then, yeah, if, if it's a second course in a film sequence that we probably used, should have used it in the first one then you know that's reasonable to assume that you know how to use it whereas if they're just like go sink or swim uh, with something specialized like that then it kind of falls on them to train you.
1: you. know there are some expensive music programs in my music program back in undergraduate that were in the computer lab at the mm-hmm. and we were able to get access and use these $800 programs on a site license at the computer lab. And those were part of our assignments, which just meant instead of purchasing $800, I was able to go to the computer lab and do that. So that seems reasonable if a, if a professor is able to say, this is part of my resource, this is part of my assignment, it's available here.
0: Right, exactly. And, and usually that type of specialized program, they're often in the computer labs in, in your school. Like that's one of the things that should be looked at when a course is proposed is like, are you going to use you know some special things you know like Dreamweaver, you know, or Final Cut or something like this? And if the students are required to use it, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to require them to use this $800 piece of software, generally speaking, an administrator would be like, you cannot require each student to spend $800 on software <laughs> and a book and possibly a computer on top of that. They'll, like you know, we'll look into a site, you know, we need to look at a site license where and where we can put it so that students have access and sometimes that access is in the computer lab and there's only certain machines that are have it installed or are allowed to have it. Sometimes it's a broader site license where anyone on campus is allowed to like download it and use it, you know, while they're on campus. And some places are have software which is uh, you, pay, you pay like once for the software, and then anyone at the school can use it forever, basically, uh, which is my favorite version of, the, of that setup. So, yeah, I guess one of our takeaways is that, first of all, te- your professors may th- view you as their grandchild who should just know all the things, <laughs> and so, That's a good one. so, I mean, they, they expect a lot. They have, they have high expectations, uh, partly because they may not, they don't, I don't think they understand very well sort of what it means to have grown up with this level of technology versus you know my, our generation and even older which have you know seen the technology progress whether they engaged with it or not. So you may need to, do, you may need to manage their expectations. <laughs> that as a, as, a, as a faculty member, as a professor, I tried to do my best to manage my students expectations on what we're going to be doing in the class. Uh, you as a student may end up needing to manage somebody else's expectations on, on what you can do just out of the box, out of the gate. And that if you have technology that is specialized, <clears throat> specialized, then that's probably something where I'm guessing they should be providing you some instruction and training on how to use that specialized software. And if they're not, then that may be a question you need to ask. There should be something set up to allow you to effectively use that bit of technology or, or software, whatever it happens to be. Often for a learning management system, there will be training sessions during orientation at the college level, like, this is our LMS. Here's where you can look for your grades and to register for classes and stuff like this. And like, you really should go to those and pay attention as much as you can. There's usually, it's drinking from a fire hose during orientation, but that's kind of a critical one that if you don't know how to check your grades, then you can end up deep into the semester not realizing that you forgot to turn in like two homework assignments that you thought you did and it's starting to eat away at your grade and you could have figured it out weeks ago but now it's we're approaching the can no longer drop the class deadline Uh, and so look for those resources on on your campus a computer center or uh, a a learning center Uh, these are places to go or if you have no idea go ask your advisor, your academic advisor, say I need to know how to do this thing, I don't know how to do this thing, where should I go? Send them an email they'll probably be able to tell you where to head to get what you need out of it.
1: I think I'm, I'm hearing or maybe I'm just making it up in my head, um, <laughs> students coming in with with an awareness of, of what they're able to do but also not, not too fearful of just getting in and trying things out and, and Uh, Messing with the new learning management system, messing with the new programs, just to to test them out and see how it works, and be willing to try things. And on professors or teachers' side, to turn the radar on and be aware or more aware of students' real responses to it, of of, you know, ability and and access, and if there's some kind of uh, familiarity thing that needs to be done in class versus you know, throw it out as an assignment to the student.
0: Yeah. If you want some extra credit, you could make a video. That's one thing, although that is kind of an access thing, allowing only students who have sort of skills with video to earn that extra credit. Uh, but it would be even worse of a thing to say, here's this video that you need to do. Do whatever you want. Give it to me in two weeks. So <laughs> that's, that's a real problem, you know, in terms of access and what's fair to ask of a student. Any other thoughts, Drew, about sort of students and technology and what they need and what they don't need?
1: You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reacting to the word training. Uh, we use the word training a lot this, this uh, episode. And I guess I'm a fan of training because that's kind of my job is training. And at the same time, I think people, whether it's teachers, staff, faculty, students, whoever, should not be fearful of. Seeking on their own something that they're either interested in or something they know they're going to be required to do, and playing around and pressing buttons. Because mm. I, I just I don't like the idea of saying, "Oh, well, you know, I didn't get trained on that, so that's why I'm I'm ignorant of the of the abilities." Or you know what I, mean? I didn't mm. get trained on this, so there. That's why I couldn't finish this or that assignment. Yeah. But, you know, <clears throat> at the point with technology. You don't have to be a, a computer programmer jacked into the matrix, but you could, you know, click a couple of buttons on Microsoft Excel and see what happens. It's not going to ruin your house, you
0: know? One thing I will say is that YouTube has really changed the game on a lot of these oh, in yeah. a way that I'm not sure that they initially uh, anticipated, which is that I, I tell my students and my advice to almost anyone is, you know, if you want to know how to use a thing, Go to YouTube and search for a, a tutorial on it, and you will all like you will get thousands for almost anything that you want. And this, and this, I feel like this revolutionized life because as a homeowner is like, how do I change this? Go to YouTube. Now I don't have to call an electrician if it's a small thing, you know, or a plumber for a small thing. But the same is true for uh, just about any program, uh, any piece of hardware. That's most are you- things are available.
1: It's, I think it's moved to YouTube, and that's revolutionized access because we used yeah. to have a Chilton's manual for the car. Well, now anybody can go and do mechanic work on their Chevy because they got Chilton's manual. Well, now it's YouTube, and I yeah, like you said, I could fix my my toilet broke. I could fix that right away, or at least realize how much it's going to cost and if I have sure. the expertise for it.
0: Right, exactly. You know, and a, a lot of you know my a lot of my skills, you know, in a homeowner and a car owner, like because. You can also look up how to do basically anything you want with a Prius, most things. Don't touch the red t- the red wires. But even how do I use these different bits of software? How do I use these, these tools with Google? You know, all of that, how do I use this data acquisition software, which is the thing that you plug in to just like you know record the motion sensor or the force probe, like all of those you can find online and figure and, and find tutorials on how to use them. Audacity, which is what I used to re- to edit this podcast, <laughs> like that was plenty of YouTube time I spent with that to make sure that I wasn't going to screw things up. All of that's out there. Uh, so, you know, if you're at the, your, maybe you're zero places, go search on YouTube to see if you can find a way to use this thing that needs to be used. And the other thing to keep in mind is, so you want to try something and you don't want to screw something up. Save a file make a copy, open it up, and just mess with it. Just fiddle all the knobs. You know, do all the things. You've already saved a version. You can't screw it up that bad. I'll, I'll you know,
1: the, the the third graders who I teach are, are not afraid to click every button, and, and they're ask the question as they click it. I wonder what this does. Bing, <laughs> see what happens. And they're, they're um, unselfconscious in their curiosity, right. which is brilliant. Don't be afraid of, well, I haven't been trained, so I'm not gonna do this or that. Yeah, go search it out. Search it out on YouTube and um, professors and and faculty as well.
0: And and mess with all the stuff on the LMS. I mean, even we're a small college. We got a guy who does the LMS. If I totally screwed things up, he would be able to recover basically everything. You know, like press the buttons, move it around. Things go haywire. Go talk to the IT people, and be like, "I'm sorry, I messed something up. I was, you know," they shouldn't, I think, <laughs> give you too much grief. You're like, just trying to explore and figure it out, you know. That's more than most of their requests are, which is, "I don't want to do it. I don't understand it. Fix it for me." It's actually my job at the, at this district, <laughs> you know, So just save it, or if it can't be saved, just mess with it, and 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 fiddle around. And from the faculty perspective, keep in mind that. I may have watched Word or Excel sort of develop from Windows 3.11 back when it ran on top of DOS. <laughs> you know, and so yeah. there's a lot of sort of a crude sort of just awareness of of how that works, you know, that informs how I use those, which my students don't have. Yeah. Or my awareness of how a web browser works and how the updating that Google does that informs, you know, my interpretation of what I see when a file doesn't show up, which I think should be there, which doesn't for my students. So for them it becomes scary and weird and the internet broke. And for me it's like, well, the browser caches what it sees and it just hasn't updated its cache yet. Hit refresh. You know, and so there's just this different level of understanding. And, you know, my students and I may be at vastly different levels one way or the other. And that's that's okay. We just gotta sort of ask, <laughs> basically, where are you at? Like, Are you at where I need you to be? If so, great. If not, let's sort of step you up to where it is. And, and that's sort of the philosophy that I try to take forward so that I don't have, I don't leave students behind uh, unintentionally. All right, that, that seems pretty good. You got anything else?
1: Uh, I think that, that covered all of my thoughts.
0: Okay, well, listeners, if you have questions for us about technology, we should probably direct them towards Drew, but you can tweet at me, I'm at Dr. Hyland, D-O-C-T-O-R-H-Y-L-A-N-D, on Twitter, or you can send me a longer email explaining in-depth your problems with everything we've just said. You can reach me uh, on email, peter.o.hyland, H-Y-L-A-N-D, at gmail.com.
1: I wonder if these digital natives are going to contact us on this one. Look forward
0: to it. <laughs> yeah, they should uh, They should know how to use Twitter, right? Any email? That...
1: No, the Twitter's for the old people. They're on, on the Instagram. They're like
0: Snapchat and stuff.
1: Right,
0: yeah. <laughs> I, I figure as soon as I adopt that, they'll all just flee and use something else. They can
1: tell, they can tell when you get on. That's I know, right.
0: it's, it's like kryptonite for that whatever that platform is. Anyway, everyone, have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.
1: All right, bye-bye.